the Holy Gospel according to St. John, the fourth chapter. Jesus came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Now it was about the sixth hour, or noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You see, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who's called Christ when he comes. He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just when his disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking to a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all 
that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and came to him. And so many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony, which was, he told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of Jesus's word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you've said that we believe, for we have heard him for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the gospel of our Lord. of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm not sure how many of you know this, but if you do, here's a reminder. Uh, Jews and Samaritans do not get along. They did not get along, and they still do not. Um, In the Old Testament, the kingdom of Israel, in uh, the times of bad kings, divides into two different kingdoms. One named Israel, which is in the north. Its capital is Samaria, which is where today's gospel takes place. And Judah in the south, um, which capital is Jerusalem. And if you can remember, Jesus is the Lion of Judah. He comes from the tribe of Judah, and so he's from the south. And so Samaritans, who are descendants of Jacob, who's called a patriarch in the Old Testament, so one of the basically the founding fathers of the Hebrew faith that will become the Christian faith, he has 12 sons, all right? So maybe you've seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat and you know this song, you know, Reuben, Judah, right? And they all like twirl and stuff. So two of them named Ephraim and Manasseh, they end up being bad boys. And they actually, they lose the promises of God, all right? And their descendants become what are the Samaritans and what they will do when Israel and Judah split is to cease worshiping at the temple in Jerusalem. Instead, they will worship where uh, the Ten Commandments are given to the Hebrews, which they call Mount Gerizim. They will also only allow for the first five books of the Old Testament to be their scriptures. And here's the kicker. When the Babylonian exile happens, right? So uh, Babylon and Assyria, they come and they destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. They take uh, the, the choicest people of the Hebrews and they bring them to Babylon to try and erase their culture by teaching them different culture, different language, changing their names, all of the above. 
after that is through, after 70 years, everyone will come back and they'll say, let's start rebuilding Jerusalem. Let's rally around building the temple. But here's the problem. The Jews, upset with the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, they say, you, now called Samaritans, you may not help us rebuild the temple because they didn't like them. And so, oh, and by the way, why they did that was the people, the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh, those tribes, they intermarried with foreign people. And so pure Hebrew faith had become mixed with foreign faiths. Even in the book of Acts, we can see um, priests of the Samaritans practicing magic, both white and black magic. And so their religion had become something completely whole cloth different. And so Samaritans and Jews did not get along for a variety of reasons and continued to. And so today in our gospel... Jesus deliberately chooses to go through Samaria. And by the way, not to Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem or the Jerusalem area to Galilee. He chooses to go through Samaria, whereas everyone else would choose to go around, even though it took a lot more time. Because Samaria was a place no good Jew would go. And they would do this to prove a point. Jesus Christ, however, the living water, wants to show that the gospel, the living water, is for everyone. Be they Jew, Samaritan, German, man, woman, baby, or grandpa. And to make this point abundantly clear, he has mercy on an outcast of a people who are already outcasts in a despised place. The Samaritan woman at the well was not loved even by her community of Samaritans. She had had five husbands. No one wanted to associate with her in her town. We can tell this because she has to go fetch water in the heat of the noonday instead of early on in the morning before the sun came up with all the other women. And all of those women, they should be her friend. And to top it all off, she is living in adultery. She is living with a man who is not her husband. She is not being loved by a man in the way that God created her to be loved. And so if you can imagine, she has built tough skin. And she has built a toughened, hardened heart to keep on living here and to keep going on. People keep hurting her. And instead of giving up, she becomes tough. Nowhere in the world would take in a Samaritan outside of Samaria let alone one that is living in sin. 
And that's why Jesus talks to her. That's why Jesus loves her. Not for who she is or what she's doing right now, but for who she was created to be. God's beloved, forgiven child. Give me a drink, he says. Now she resists at first. She's not willing to trust this strange man who would talk with her in the heat of the noonday by himself. Yet another man who could hurt her, hurt her heart, why take a chance with him? But this was far more than any normal man, of course. This was God made man, taken on flesh, to redeem his beloved betrothed bride, to buy her back from the sinful world. And Jesus chose this spot because it is ground zero for much of salvation history. This is Jacob's well. This is where in Genesis 29, the patriarch Jacob found, chose, served his beloved wife, Rachel, the shepherdess. And he gave her and all her sheep water to drink in the heat of the day. But today, the bridegroom Messiah, Jesus Christ, instead asks the Samaritan woman for a drink of water. And his beloved church begins to serve him in love, in service. If only she knew the gift of God speaking to her, Jesus says, he would give her living water. And so like the rock in the desert of today's Old Testament lesson, the people of this world have been wandering in the desert, hour to hour, living by the simple physical water that they have to fetch. And they grow thirsty again. But today, the Samaritan woman and you Christians will hear of Christ's living water and never be thirsty again. The things that we look to to satiate us or to blow off steam or to just relax, at best, keep us happy for a little bit, but at worst, make us no more satisfied, if not less satisfied, than when we had begun. This, of course, looks like adding more hours at work. This looks like doing or adding on another extracurricular because something seems to be missing. This looks like watching another hour of TV, scrolling on your phone or your iPad for another hour because something feels like it's missing. But whoever drinks of this living water, Jesus says, of Christ's word will never be thirsty again. Jesus is here in the place that no one, not even his disciples, oh, Jesus, we have to go get food. No one would dare to go. He's talking to an unloved woman 
who belongs to a hated people in a God-forsaken city in the heat of the day. Why? To show her and to show us what true love is. True love is this, that the Father who is in heaven, who created you, has sent his Son to die for you. And by that death, wash away her sins, her mistakes, your sins, your mistakes, to wash it all away when you believe in him. And Jesus will take that on himself. He'll die and he'll rise again to show you that those sins, that brokenness, death, no longer has power over you. And this is what she was missing, what she didn't even understand that she needed, the scriptures say. Jesus is here to give her and all who believe living water. This promised, lasting, eternal Sabbath rest. He is her and he is your Redeemer, Messiah, Christ, Savior. He loves you and he loves you in this way. Instead of blaming you or making fun of you or ridiculing you, he bears the punishment of your mistakes and your wrongdoing. He bears it and he takes it away. And so he asks you to give your pain, your sadness, and your brokenness to him. But this living water does not make life easy. No. It makes it challenging. It makes it fun. Bracing, you might say. Like when you step into the cold outdoors from a warm home. Because the living water of Christ, he says, wells up to eternal life in his redeemed disciples. You are, as St. Paul says, baptized into Christ's very body, which is what, called, what is Jesus calls his church. You are, you are, all of one body. Paul writes that you drink of one baptism. And in this way, you receive his spirit. No longer do you go to the temple in Jerusalem or to Mount Gerizim like a Samaritan. No, you are redeemed as a disciple of Christ, washed in his blood and the water of baptism. You are a member of his body, the church. Instead, you go to the true temple, Jesus Christ where he promises to be found, of course, in his word and his sacraments, to worship in spirit and the way, the truth, and the life. Now, baptismal water being drunk is a weird, surprising image that you never hear preached about, you never hear written about outside of the scriptures, Because it is weird. But if you sit and meditate on it for a second, it makes sense. 
Imagine, try and imagine a world where John's baptism has become so popular because everyone's doing it that now it's a fashionable trend. People now think that baptism is just an outward sign of an inward faith. It's just a ritual. Imagine a world where that might happen, where people just do it because everyone else is doing it, where they do it to their kids because everyone else is doing it to their kids. It's just an outward thing. Well, maybe Jesus would have to say, no, it's more than that. It's not just an outward thing. It is living water that goes into you, changes you, changes your heart, washes you clean, both outside and in, makes you new. Drink it up. This living water incorporates you and your child into the body of Christ himself, the church. The Spirit of God comes upon you in baptism as the Spirit came upon Christ at his baptism. But he doesn't just come and, oh boy, that happened. That was a good episode of the TV show. Turn it off. No, the Spirit came on Jesus, comes on you in real life and remains, sticks around in continued Christian life. You are changed. You act differently. You think different. You love different because you act, think, and love as Christ does, or at least you try to. And this looks like thinking, acting, and loving, not just for yourself, but for Jesus, for your church, and for your neighbor. And so may God equip you and bless you when you leave this church today and you tell your city, your village, I should say, about the Savior of your life. When your neighbor, God bless you when your neighbor one day says, it is no longer because of what you have said that I believe. Now I've heard it for myself. I've gone where Jesus promises to be. I've heard his word. I've received his sacraments. I've heard it for myself. Now I know that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. In his name, amen.